0: What we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome into episode 10 of a, of the two and a half marks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the Ty Dillinger episode. all the haters and losers said that we would never be able to make it to double digits all of them said that we would never have the tenacity the the perspicacity the will to sit on our asses for 10 weeks in a row and talk about wrestling in our underwear but boys (laughs) we are here we are proud we are victorious i am your host david statman i am joined as always, by my good friends, Angelo and Glisa and Jake Long. Fellas, let's, let's take a victory lap because we have defied the haters and losers and
1: reached 10 episodes. You know, I couldn't have done that intro any better myself except for the fact you didn't say episode Diaz" on the Two and a Half Marks podcast.
0: Got to switch it up, dude. I'm not I'm not trying to fall into these into these, you know, routine bits like this is a sitcom. <laughs> this is real life, dude. No, I
2: I was thinking about how I wanted to start this and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to ask the guys what their favorite match was so far that we covered." And then I realized that all three of us were going to say Walter Tyler Bates, so I just yeah. didn't even
1: ask. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Walter Bates, Walter Bates and then Steamboat Flair.
2: Oh yeah, like 1 2 for me easy. Yeah.
1: I think actually Walter Bates I think the Triple H, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell is number two for me. And then I think you go Steamboat Flair for me.
2: I just, I'm not a huge, I like Triple H, but I can kind of take or leave a lot of his matches. And Flair is just chef's kiss.
0: Chef's kiss, indeed. (laughs) Well, so we jump into episode 10 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. And it is the second half of our special two-part episode covering WrestleMania- 28, we took care of the first half of the show last week, and now we're taking care of the second half of the show, and we left off with the legendary classic Hell in a Cell showdown between Triple H and The Undertaker, which very conveniently finished almost exactly halfway through the WrestleMania 28 show. So it was a perfect stopping point, and if you guys didn't listen to it, Highly recommend going back because, you know, some good stuff on the first half of that card. Also some really terrible stuff that I don't really want to remember, but (laughs) it's a WWE show. You take the you take the bad with the good. So we are going to jump back into the second half of WrestleMania 28. We only have three matches on the second half of the card headlined by The Rock and John Cena. their once in a lifetime showdown. But still, a lot of stuff to talk about, even though there's just three matches, a lot of people involved. So I guess without further ado, boys, for the 10th time, let's remember some guys. Cool. So we start off with picking up from the uh, Hell in a Cell match. We have a rundown of the 2012 WrestleMania Hall, or uh, WWE Hall of Fame class. And we have the great The Fink. Howard Finkel shows up to intro everybody, which is just great. It's, you know, rest in peace to the Fink, Mm. the great voice of WWE. Um, Class headlined by the Mexican legend Mil Noscaris, Ron Simmons, best known as the guy who yells damn. (laughs) The late, great Yokozuna, who was, I think, a two-time WWF champion in the 90s. The four horsemen are all there. You've got Ric Flair, you've got Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Ole Anderson, and J.J. Dillon. Their manager was also there, and uh, Mike Tyson was there. He did the DX crotch chops when he was uh, introduced, and then of course the headliner is, I think, for the three of us, all one of our favorite wrestlers of all time. It's Edge. This is Edge here. Is is Edge alive? Edge is alive. Okay. Shout out to Nikki P on that one. Um, Edge comes out and he's teary eyed. And I mean, this is like right after, not long after he had to retire with his, with his neck injury. And it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, he came back and had this great match just recently with Randy Orton and he's like back wrestling. And this is eight years ago and he is retired and he is headlining the hall of fame class. And it's just, oh, it's taken as a given, and Edge is never going to wrestle again. But now here we are in 2020, and the only good thing to come out of this hell year is that we got to see Edge in the ring again, and it was
1: awesome. I was about to say that, because that is the single highlight of 2020. If nothing else good happens, we at least have Edge back in the WWE wrestling. How hard did we
0: pop for that, David? We were screaming when Edge came out at the Royal Rumble this past year. Like yeah. You literally just heard... You think you know me? And then we didn't hear anything else because we were screaming too loud to make out any other sound. I also I know, screamed I audibly. I, it,
2: I, said, I I know I took a Snapchat of it and sent it to like 15 different people just with us screaming in it. And like most of them were like, why are you screaming? So
0: <laughs> people don't understand sometimes, man.
2: They just don't. They don't get it's just it.
0: for the fellas, dude. It's just for the bros. <laughs> no, I, I actually like went back and watched – Today, I watched the video of of Edge's return (laughs) to Rumble because I watch that video sometimes, and it's so cool. But then, like, watching it later out of the moment, watching it back kind of ruins it a little bit because you realize that, like, there's, like, 70,000 camera cuts as he walks out to the ring, so you, like, barely get to see Edge. It's like you see five seconds of Edge, and then it's, like, a million different shots of the other fans, like, screaming. And but you, it's like, I want to see Edge, dude. But, I am here for Adam
2: Copeland. Thank he had you. The, but he had the pyro whenever he did the, uh, the, the rock and roll fingers.
0: Yes. Metalingus, greatest theme of all time. Absolutely. You we just, decided you, that definitively. Yes, we did. You just, we, did the, we did the bracket.
1: You <laughs> hear the You Think You Know Me, and then the crowd oh and God. everyone loses their minds. And rightfully so. Big shout out to a JPEG Mafia,
0: who made the You Think You Know Me, like his producer tag which is why I only listen to his music now. <laughs> so we move on from the Hall of Fame. It's always a weird, nice little treat to see these random guys, even though the WWE Hall of Fame literally does not matter. It is made up in the mind of Vince McMahon. There is no voting process. There is no physical location for this Hall of Fame. It's just Vince McMahon deciding a few people every year that he's going to you know, let on to the WrestleMania stage. But still cool every year to see guys. We then go backstage. Josh Matthews is going to interview our special guest, Flo Rida, a name out of straight ripped out of 2012. And Heath Slater shows up. Uh, he's kind of doing the proto 3MB gimmick where he's like the one man rock band. And <laughs> he's calling him Florida. And he wants to be a part of Flo Rida's performance later on in the night. Flo Rida, who is a big Jack dude, he's like way bigger than Heath Slater like he when he's performing later on before the scene of rock match like he has a shirt off dude is a fucking he's a jacked ass dude he's huge i mean he looked like he'd get in there and mix it up um so he beats up heath slater throws him into the wall and he slater then gets made fun of by kurt hawkins and i think the other guy was tyler rex but i had no idea who this guy was like a white dude with dreadlocks, I'm pretty sure it was Tyler oh, Rex, Rex. Yeah. who was probably the most obscure 2012-era WWE wrestler. He was, was a about.
1: guy, though. That's, a, that's guy. a guy. Definition
0: of a guy. I think Tyler Rex, if I remember correctly, was the guy who wanted to use the burning hammer as his finisher, and then John Cena got mad at him because it was too close to the attitude adjustment. <laughs> so that's gotcha. uh, our moment of remembering uh, Tyler Rex. So now we finally get to our first match of this show or the second half of WrestleMania 28. We have a 12-man tag match to determine the general manager of both Raw and SmackDown. One team, Team Johnny, representing John Laurinaitis, the vice president of talent relations, All Japan pro wrestling legend, and the other team, Team Teddy, representing Teddy Long, The guy who said playa a lot and had a really cool uh, entrance music. The best referee of WCW. We all love Teddy Long. (laughs) There's not a single person who watched wrestling from like 2005 to 2010 who doesn't love Teddy Long. And we would all, I think, kill for Teddy Long. So it's Team Johnny versus Team Teddy. Brie Bella comes out to intro Team Johnny. They all come out. Nobody gets an individual entrance for this match. All the Team Johnny guys have the really crappy raw intro music, which had just a very, you know, uncanny valley-esque effect on me. It, it deeply disturbed me
1: listening to it. Wasn't one of them Nickelback? Yeah, I was going to say, one of these intros is Nickelback.
2: I'm pretty sure the first team to enter was Nickelback. Yeah,
0: it was the Nickelback raw entrance. Like it was, yeah. That was the raw music at the time. Oh, oh okay. Was okay. Was raw- yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Raw's, like, entrance, or, like, their opening theme at the top. And then the other team gets Teddy Long's music, which (laughs) is way cooler. So, you have Team Johnny. You've got uh, The Miz, Mark Henry, a young Drew McIntyre, who is not being pushed anymore. He is rapidly on his way towards... Being in 3MB and then eventually getting pushed out the door. And then we never hear from him again. Future Inner Circle member, Jack Swagger. We've got Dolph Ziggler, who seemed to get the biggest, like, individual pop of any of these guys. And five good names there. Five guys who were all world champions or future world champions. But for some reason, the captain of the team is David Otunga. So that's cool. (laughs) They're all wearing these just... Just dork ass shirts with uh, John Laurinaitis' face on them. It, they it just looks so stupid. Vicky Guerrero is out there waving the Raw flag,
2: the official flag bearer of Team Johnny.
0: I don't know Ooh, why ah. they needed. I don't know why they needed flag bearers. Is this the Olympics? Like,
1: <laughs> it's a twelve man tag match. It's a twelve man tag match to decide the general manager of Raw and SmackDown. Do not pretend like this isn't important. I mean, it's like, like what is this, Dragon
0: Gate? Like, they're going to start playing the national anthems before matches now? <laughs> like, come on. So, John Lornais comes out, and he's wearing a white suit and a red tie. He is dressed exactly like Brother Love. Brother
2: Love! David, hey. you keep stealing my jokes. Was, <laughs> although, although
0: granted, doesn't Jerry
2: Lawler say something about it? I yeah. think he might, actually. He does. Says
1: he's dressed like Colonel Sanders.
2: Oh, I thought he said something about Brother Love, but... I, I, th- my first thought was, "Man,
0: Bruce Pritchard, eat your heart out." It's beautiful. He looks amazing. He looks like he's going to. Uh, he looks like he's going to junior prom, and I hope <laughs> he scores. So then we get the other Bella twin, Nikki Bella, introing Team Teddy. Everybody gets Teddy Long's entrance theme. We get Kofi Kingston, who gets a pretty good pop. The Punjabi playboy, great Kali, is there. Our truth is there. Zach Ryder is there. Booker T is out there. He gets a pretty good pop. And then the team captain, Santino Morella, who gets the biggest pop, I think, of any one of these individual guys. They are accompanied by Eve Torres, who's out there with Zack Ryder. Oksana, who is a person who I barely remember, is also there. Hornswoggle, our little favorite leprechaun, is waving the flag. And then Teddy Long comes out, and we all love Teddy Long. A twelve man tag in one of these just ridiculous authority angles that was going on in the early two thousand tens that nobody remembers and nobody cares about, nobody cared about then people care about them even less now. I don't remember the storyline because there were eight hundred of them and it sucked.
2: But would you like me to interject here? Why don't you do it? Go go for it. <laughs> they were, I mean, you don't remember it because it was typical. It was literally just, Johnny kept like trying to interfere with like like Teddy Long would make a decision and then Johnny would just show up and be like actually this is what we're going to do because you know Teddy always had the like you're going to go one on one with the undertaker and then or he would say this is now a tag team match <laughs> however uh and then Johnny I keep calling him Johnny Ace cuz that's what I think of him as but John Laurinaitis would show up and be like actually He's going to go on a a one on three handicap match with, you know, these other guys instead. So it was just a very typical
0: um, authority versus authority matchup. For some reason, WWE just has always felt we need to have these authority battles and
1: there always needs to be a heel authority figure. Hey, remember when they did that with Shane like a year ago or a year and a half ago?
0: Oh, my God, God, it was was no payoff.
1: God, it was awful.
0: Remember the best in the world Shane McMahon? Oh gosh. I have never come closer to hanging myself. My-
1: <laughs> Speaking of best in the world, but we'll get to that later.
0: Anyway, so we have these guys and it's a match and there is absolutely no heat. I mean, there could not be less heat at all. They're wrestling in these just in these shirts. They look like complete nerds. They have to sell the fact that like people like Mark Henry and booker t like guys who are hall of famers have to sell that they care about whether uh john lauren is in charge of booking smackdown or being the authority figure in smackdown they have to sell that they care about this the match itself is fine even though i've always kind of hated tag matches with this many people just because it's almost impossible to get like a good like 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 tell a good story and get a good flow because it's like one guy has to get his stuff in, and they he tags in someone else who has to get their stuff in. And there's so many people who have to like get their few moves in that it takes forever. And then you just have the finish, and then the match is over. This is kind of what that's like. A lot of this match is Drew McIntyre selling for everybody. And then uh, Booker T comes in, and then he sells for everybody. Mark Henry runs in, even though he's not the legal man. He hits Booker T with the world's strongest slam. From that point, guys just kind of getting in the ring and just start doing stuff. And they try to... This was the coolest part of the match. They try to throw Hornswoggle over the top rope onto people. Henry catches him and just kind of tosses him to the side like, you know, little baby. And then immediately afterward, uh, Kofi, Ryder, and R-Truth all hit this really cool, like, triple flip dive over the top out onto them, which was pretty sweet. Uh, Back into the ring... Booker tags in Santino Marella. Yeah, it's a diving headbutt. And then he hits the Cobra, which is one of my favorite things of this period of over, wrestling. So over, dude. The Cobra was so over. And my favorite part about the Cobra was that it was the most patently ridiculous move in the history of wrestling. But it was sold like the deadliest super finisher of all time. It was sold like uh, like Umaga's uh, Samoan Spike. Like... Like the, like the most protected finisher in the history of wrestling (laughs) is Santino Morella putting a, like a a snake sock on his arm and rightfully so every time he hits somebody with it, they died. And I just loved that. It was so funny. Um, but then Ziggler comes in and breaks up the pin. Ryder gets a hot tag. They do the woo, woo, woo. Everyone's excited. Um, and then he hits the broski boot. He's going in for the kill. But then Eve Torres, who is supposed to be with him, she's in the ring. She's dancing around. She ends up distracting the referee It allows the Miz to hit the skull-crushing finale. And Team Johnny gets the pin and wins in 10 minutes and 35 seconds. After the match, Eve Torres punts Zack Ryder in the balls and walks away.
1: So it's never too early to start off with my oozing charisma guy. I had you guys guess who it was. You both didn't get in the group chat. The oozing charisma guy for this episode is going to be Zack Ryder. And I can't believe that WWE missed the boat with him because... The crowd is hot for him, even at this point. It's not like super heat, but like you can tell that the crowd is enjoying seeing Zack Ryder out there doing the woo woo woo. He hits that uh, amazing over the top rope uh, suicida flip senton dive, whatever you want to call it, uh, onto the team Raw. The monkey flip he hits on Ziggler that Ziggler sells to hell with doing like about five flips in the air. Incredible. I mean, the guy has the charisma. He has the look, and I watch a few of the clips about him on YouTube and the guy was frequently around some of these bigger stars. Like he, they had CM Punk introduce him after the TLC event in 2012, I believe. So later this year, uh, he's, oh, he's seen with John Cena, John Cena mimicking him or like getting the gear of Zack Ryder. uh, Zach Ryder. And I'm just like this guy, you could have pushed him to the moon and the crowd would have loved it. Similar with Santino. Like Santino was another guy. Yeah. He's a comedy wrestler, but if you bill him correctly, you could do a lot of things with him. R Truth is another guy that could be kind of like that comedy wrestler, guy that could be pushed. But that's kind of where WWE falls on itself, and that's why I see a lot of failures here, is that they don't think of guys who can do comedy necessarily as top guys, and that already caps your ceiling. So if you come in funny, guess what? You're not getting higher than the mid card. I mean, I, I feel like a guy like Otis is
2: like trying to buck that trend currently. Yes, because he came in. I mean, granted, Heavy Machinery was good in NXT; like they were actually, you know, good wrestlers. Um, but I think he's trying to buck that trend. But I agree, Zack Ryder was super cool, but he got himself over. We we talked about this um, because I wrongly accused Al Snow of getting himself over, and David corrected me. But Zack Ryder got himself over. And WWE doesn't like when you do that. They want to get you over.
0: I would say that Zack Ryder is less of a case of WWE missing the boat than it is WWE taking the controls of the boat and purposely steering it into an iceberg. (laughs) I mean, he got him. Yeah, I mean, as Jake said, this was a guy who, on his own, was the first guy to do this using social media and using the internet, got himself really over created this persona for himself that the fans love to the point where when like they were hijacking rock promos like the rock was getting hijacked by we want rider chains like that was the level that Ryder was at in 2011 and even by this point uh, at wrestlemania 28 in april of 2012 still early 2012 like He had already been buried a bunch of times and he was already on the downswing. And it was like very much seemed like purposeful retribution from WWE for getting himself over when he wasn't a guy who was supposed to be over. And it was just, well, screw you. All right. Like we're going to, we're going to teach you. We're going to use you as an example to people to not get themselves over. If we don't want you over.
1: And uh,
2: the rock said, know your role.
1: In and shut your, your mouth. That's pretty much what WWE wanted him to do. And, like, I think they try to recapture it. I forget which WrestleMania was, but I think it was WrestleMania 35 where he wins the IC title ladder match by shoving the Miz off the top of the ladder. And you hear the crowd go nuts for it, but it's definitely not peak heat. It's more of like, oh, it's WrestleMania and this is a guy that we enjoy watching heat. But I'm thinking about it like today, if we still have a Zack Ryder that was pushed adequately, maybe got a world title run or at least around the world title. Like, you got the broski, and then you have the original bro, Matt Riddle. Like, how good yeah. of a feud would that be? That's a feud that you don't need a belt for, because you could do a lot of cool, yet silly stuff with that, and build, I think, a decent story, yet WWE, again, Vince has to have control 100% of the time, and Zack Ryder, the guy oozes charisma, and I'm really upset that there's not more Zack Ryder uh, in our lives. Santino Ryder? Oh, no, you, you go. No, if you got something to say about Ryder, go ahead, because I'll get into Santino later. Oh,
0: yeah, I I was just going to finish up about Ryder. Like, Ryder ended up occupying a similar place, not pushed as strongly, but a similar place, I think, in the fans' eyes as uh, Ziggler for a long time. A guy who got himself really over, but then with Ziggler, he got pushed more, and they never really pulled the trigger on him. And it was like a guy who got himself really over, but... WWE kept beating them when it matters. And in Ryder's case, just like horribly burying him. But like every time WWE kind of teased that they might get behind him and do something with them, the fans were like, oh, okay, wait. And they got back into him and then they got shut down again. And then it ended up happening so many times that like the damage was done and they could never get up for it again. But like, yeah, a couple years later, I think it was WrestleMania 32 was when he won the intercontinental title match yeah. at the, the ladder match at WrestleMania and the fans went crazy for it. It was awesome. Like he was over, he lost the title the next night on raw. And then it was just, okay, we're back to normal with this. <laughs> Why I ever care?
1: And like, I, and again, just, I enjoyed Zack Ryder. I wish we got more of him Santino. I think the WWE got what they could from Santino, but there was a moment in time, especially right now, Watching that one Royal Rumble 2011 clip where he and Albert, Alberto Del win. Rio, Alberto Del Rio are the last two guys standing. If uh, Santino wins I that, bring this up. If Santino wins that, like you can make all the jokes you want about him. You can say he's a comedy wrestler and like he's a little bit too over the top, which he is. But that's kind of like the charm of Santino. But you will legitimize him as a guy that could be at or near the top of the card. Which WWE right now has a problem with guys like that. There's a reason why Dolph Ziggler is getting an opportunity at Drew McIntyre at Extreme Rules. And it's because they don't have enough top guys. And Ziggler, even though he is like a top guy, they didn't have any build for it. The story that they're telling isn't particularly great, even though they've gotten better at it. But Dolph is always the guy they throw out saying, oh, crap, we need a challenger. Let's throw him Dolph Ziggler. They did it with Kofi last year. They're doing it with Drew now. They did it with Seth. Uh, or like dolph with z
2: uh seth well, dolph with seth like might have even
1: been last year they they had a program like that i know they feud a lot for the ic title like 20 late 2018 and those matches on raw were always amazing but they did them like 6 weeks in a row cuz again wwe creative
2: and then gave them a 30 man a 30 minute iron man match that was just the same other
1: matches yep but that said, um, Booker T sells like hell in this ma- match, and I, wasn't surpri- I was surprised to see that. I thought he looked better than he did in 06, all things considered. Uh, great Colley is huge. Drew McIntyre looks really young. And this match is just, there's so many guys, it's hard not to talk about it, even if the match itself is just so boring. Yeah, yeah
2: I, I was not like super entertained by this match because I just kept seeing things like, world champ, great Kali. Remember that <laughs> when that was happening? Um However, there's not much I love more than watching Dolph Ziggler uh, sell, ma- sell moves. We were talking before the, the pod started about whenever Ziggler had to sell the Goldberg spear, and then I sat and watched it right before we started recording, and it just renewed my love for how well Ziggler sells.
0: Ziggler is... I mean, we were talking about it, like... I have never been more excited for a squash match than I was when they did uh, Ziggler Goldberg. Because <laughs> I wanted to see how Dolph Ziggler was going to sell the Goldberg spear, and boy, I wanted, I wanted to see what like, like, how, in what way was was Dolph Ziggler's spine going to get folded ninety degrees, a hundred degrees, eighty degrees? I want. I had my protractor out. <laughs> and I'm proud of I you. Was, I, I was so excited for it, and I it lived up to everything I drew. Absolutely.
1: And he doesn't eat, just eat one spear. He eats three spears, each one better than the last. I was like, Dolph
0: Ziggler is going to legitimately concuss himself for my entertainment, and I could <laughs> not be happier for it. God bless Dolph Ziggler. So, yeah, I, I thought this was a fine match. Like, the work itself was solid, but the fans didn't care about it. This angle was stupid, and then we you know, we we move on and forget about it. There's better stuff coming up on the
2: show. The, the only thing that, I, that this match, other, other than what I've already mentioned, reminded me of was I, I do think that John, John Laurinaitis and Vicky Guerrero were some of the best heels of the PG era that were not direct workers. Sure. Because I remembered hating both of them with every ounce of my being. I hated them. Counterpoint. Even now,
0: even now when Vicky Guerrero... She's, I mean, she shows up every now and then on AEW mm-hmm. now. And every time I see her, I'm like, oh, it's Vicky Guerrero. And, and then I'm like, get off my screen. I, I hate you. I still hate you. Get off my screen. Counterpoint. It's not like, a, oh, I, I like." Oh, I don't care about Vicky Guerrero. I don't want to see her. I'm like, I get off my screen, you, you banshee woman. <laughs> Go back to hell.
1: <laughs> Same. Fantastic. And then you have Teddy Long, who is probably – a great who's a great face, and again, not really a wrestler. I think everyone, like David said, everyone loves Teddy Long. I love Teddy Long, even if he is a giant walking cliche. But <laughs> you got to appreciate Teddy Long. But yeah. Right. And then you have Johnny Ace, All
0: Japan legend. Hmm. A guy that's uh, super, I mean, like, you know, just a funny guy, to, like easy guy to kind of make fun of with his raspy voice. Luke Gallows has the best Johnny Lauren Atis, uh, impression of all time. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up uh, the Luke Gallows Dr. Death story on YouTube. It is my favorite video in all of wrestling. So that's, I think, all we have to say about that one. There are a lot of guys. I just I don't like 12 man tag matches, it gets to be a little too much. I've seen plenty of great six man tags. I've seen some really good eight man tags from time to time. And once you get to like 10 or 12, I don't think I've ever seen a good one in my life. So, eh, whatever. It's okay. So, we move on. CM Punk is backstage getting ready for his match. John Laurinaitis comes up to kind of gloat a little bit, talk a little smack. He's, he's feeling good. His team just won. And because he always gets a mess with Punk, he tells the champion that if he gets disqualified in his WWE Championship match with Chris Jericho... He will lose the WWE title. So the next match: CM Punk, Chris Jericho, WWE Championship match. Jericho comes out. I mean, it is crazy how much he's aged in the last eight years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Um, he looks great. Entra- uh, uh, classic entrance music. I I kind of missed the uh, the break the walls down theme song. As much mm-hmm. as I like Judas, as as good of a song that as that is, this is one of one of my. Favorite WWE ones. One of my
2: favorite clips ever is Jericho's debut, whenever like nobody knew that he nobody knew he was coming. And then just the big Jericho flashes on the screen when the music hits, and the crowd
0: loses their mind. One of the biggest pops of that whole era. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And because it was so cool, people forget the fact that the rock absolutely roasted Destroyed him on the him, almost he, ended his career with the promo. I mean like like Jericho did nothing cool after that debut nothing 99 but like imagine trying to go at it on the mic with 99 rock (laughs) I mean that is like fighting 1986 Mike Tyson I mean you're gonna get killed um CM Punk comes out Cult of Personality is one of the best themes of all time absolutely yeah huge ton of fireworks for Punk it was awesome um huge cm punk chance. and again we're in a big open-air nfl stadium we're at sun life stadium in miami there's a a listed seventy eight thousand people there a lot of times in situations like that with the way the acoustics are it is tough for those big chants to really carry and be really really audible but you hear it here with the punk chants um do a couple spots early that are there to remind you that, oh, if Punk gets DQ'd, he's going to lose the title. Um, Jericho is trying to rile him up, saying that his father's a drunk and his sister's a drug addict, trying to goad him into hitting him with a chair. Punk doesn't do it, so then Jericho takes control and hits a big suplex off the apron of the floor, just beats on him for a long time. Not a lot of heat for the first half of this match, but... The fans definitely did get into it, um, especially the second half of the match. Um, uh, Jericho or, uh, so where am I in this? Okay, so Jericho <laughs> goes for the lion's salt. Punk gets the knees up, but then Jericho turns it in the walls. Jericho gets him in this hold a few times in this match. Uh, Jericho gets the knees up when Punk tries to hit him with a top rope elbow. Hits the code breaker, which is Always a cool move. Punk rolls out of the ring. Punk ends up hitting the uh, go to sleep, but takes way too long to cover. Jericho just gets a foot on the ropes. Jericho hits a lion salt at one point. Punk kicks out. This was one of the coolest spots of the night. Uh, Punk tries to go for a top rope Frankensteiner, but Jericho catches him on the way down, turns it in the walls of Jericho. I think that was like the moment where the crowd really came alive because that was such a cool spot and they really got into it after that um punk backdrops jericho all the way over the top rope to the floor hits a suicide dive goes for a springboard but jericho catches him with a code breaker out of midair for a two count huge cm punk chance at this Mm. point punk gets him up for the go to sleep jericho escapes into the lion tamer transitions it into the walls of jericho punk ends up reversing it into his submission finisher, the Anaconda Vice. Shout out to Hiroyoshi Tenzan on that move. Um, Jericho ends up getting out of it. They have a cool little series of reversals. Then Punk gets it back into the Anaconda Vice, and Jericho taps out in 22 minutes and 19 seconds, and CM Punk retains the WWE Championship.
2: This match was honestly a lot better than I remembered it. Because I, I, I went back a couple of years ago and I watched all of these pay-per-views from like 2000 up. And I've always been a big Jericho and CM Punk guy. But I remember watching this match and I was like, this, I thought this match was boring. But now I think I have a better understanding of wrestling. So like the lion salt into the knees up into the walls of Jericho and then they fall out of that. Like that was a super cool moment um, that's pretty early in the match um that i think really elevated the match and i think got the fans really into it you get the gts on, with on into the uh, leg on the rope which i've said before love a love a good leg on the bottom rope spot to get out of the pin uh, the walls off of the second rope was something i had never seen before um the more that i once i watched it this this was probably the third time i've seen it i really liked it um more than i more than i remembered and you also get like the character stuff with Jericho's tights saying best in the world. That is, that is an all time uh, tights. It's up there with like, uh, didn't dream like put his face on tights. Like Rick. Yeah. Rude did?
0: Yeah, when, like, when, when dream had call me up Vince on his tights and takeover. <laughs> yeah.
2: You had uh, Rick rude. I think it was uh, WrestleMania six had his face on his own tights. Great stuff. Um, let me ask this to you guys. What's the power level difference between the Walls and the Lion Tamer?
1: The Lion Tamer looks like it hurts more.
2: Doesn't it? Yeah. But it seems like he's trying to get into the Walls more.
0: Yeah, I've always felt that the Lion Tamer should be the higher power level move. Absolutely. But it's like one of those things. It's like just the way finishers work in wrestling where it's like, I think the Lion Tamer was like his original submission yeah. finisher. And then he started using the Walls of Jericho. And so then like, because it, it's the newer move, The walls
1: of Jericho becomes the higher power level move. He's so good uh, at the wall. He's so good at that Boston Crab. It's his finisher. yeah, Yeah, I mean,
0: it's like he used to do the Lion Salt as a finisher. Yep. And then he started doing the Code Breaker. So he would still use the Lion Salt, but he never actually ended up pinning people with it anymore. And now he does the Judas Effect. So he still uses the 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 Lion Salt and the Code Breaker, but because they aren't his finisher anymore. He still hits people with it. And even though they used to finish people, they don't finish people anymore. He only How did it long? With the Judas effect now. How long until
2: he breaks his neck doing a lion salt, though? He almost did. Have you oh, ever man. seen the...
0: There's one clip in a WCW match, I think with... Oh, Kurt I meant Henry. I meant now that he's older, but go ahead. No, I mean, I'm talking like 25 years ago when wow. he almost broke his neck. Yeah, or 23 years ago, something like that. It was a match with Kurt Hennig. And oh, okay. he does the lion salt, And you can tell he screws it up really bad. Oh, no. And, like, he doesn't get the right torque on it, and he doesn't get enough rotation. And, like, at the – he's about to, like, land on his head directly. And, like, at the last second, Hennig is, like, just able to get his knees up. So, like, his – like, Jericho, like, ends up bouncing off of his knees. Oh, and like it was like Hennig just like thought really quickly and saved his life because if he doesn't get his knees up at literally the last second, Jericho ends up landing directly on his head. Yeah. Whenever I see like fifty year old Chris Jericho do it, I it just it scares me. He always hits it, but yeah, it scares me because like if any if either of you guys know who Hayabusa was, who was a big ja- a big star in Japan in the late nineties and like two thousand two thousand one, uh. Broke his neck and paralyzed himself doing a lion salt, the exact same way that, you know, tried to do the springboard moon salt, which is a move that he did all the time, and just landed directly on his head. And paralyzed I'm watching.
2: Himself. I'm watching the clip right now, and it's pretty incredible. Henning gets his legs up at the last second, yeah, and Jericho just kind of like gently rides them to the ground. That's it's like,
0: crazy. It's like re- Like Mr. Perfect
1: really was perfect.
0: <laughs> he just saved chris <laughs> jericho's life
1: i know i mentioned this on the takeover cardiff episode but uh, i watched the lesnar shooting star press for the first time i think two weeks ago and like how he lands on that at wrestlemania mm. it's a miracle that he's not horribly crippled based off that i curve. mean it was it's, it's probably because brock lesnar's neck
0: is like 45 pounds. <laughs> like you could try to behead him with a hacksaw and like it would take you like 14 hours to get through his neck.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, but it's uh, just to kind of echo what Jake said earlier. Um, the the sequence of where Punk hits the running knee, goes for his bulldog, Jericho counters out of it into a lion salt that CM Punk counters that then Jericho counters into the walls of Jericho, just peak chain wrestling that wasn't really a WWE style back then, and it's great to see. I think for me, I had unrealistic expectations for this match when I saw Punk-Jericho, because both of those guys I remember, like, Jericho (laughs) now and back then versus, and then Punk during his time, because this is like the era of Punk, just how great of a match those two could put together, and I had really high expectations uh, the bottom rope pin break on the GTS, like Jake said, just something that was pure oh, cool. art on that one. And it's just because you see Punk hit the GTS, and a lot of times when he hits it in the middle of the ring, that's where the opponent ends up. And you see him go for the cover and get wins there, and then you hit. Get, you see that uh leg on the rope. It's just, oh, wow. I can't believe it. And it doesn't take away from the GTS, and it just kind of adds to the match, and builds up Jericho. Jericho ringing out early when Punk was going to the top rope, I thought that was a really kind of add to the story of the wily veteran. Him inciting Punk with those uh, remarks about his family. The storytelling kind of carried the first part of the match, and it was almost a good thing that the crowd was dead for it, because you got to hear it a lot better. And then the second half of the match just kind of melts your brain a little bit with the chains that they're able to do, including that beautiful super hurricane rana counter into the walls of jericho from the second rope just absolute i haven't seen anything like it probably won't see anything like it for a long time but that was just it was art yeah i
2: don't i the only thing that 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 held this match back for or not the only thing but i for some reason submission finishes just don't hit the same for me they don't hit the same tokens that i'm looking for and I just, there's something about the one, two, three, and the crowd saying it and the hype. But it seems as though crowds always generally pop for it, especially like Brian, Daniel Bryan winning when he taps out Batista uh, at like 32 or something like that. But I don't know. Just has never really hit the same for me.
0: I'm sure you were hyped to find out that Okada has stopped winning matches with the Rainmaker and now he's doing a Cobra Clutch.
2: That's a thing.
1: Yeah i'm sure that's like right up your alley hey david how are you feeling after evil turned on the uh los and blah 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 blah. (laughs) digipod as a guy
0: who owns an lij t-shirt that has evil's logo on it um (laughs) i wanted to kill myself angelo it was a dark night for me very dark night um i always dreamed that the night that I saw the King of Darkness Evil win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, I would be weeping tears of joy. Oh, wait. But instead, I was weeping the bitter tears of unfathomable heart, unfathomable heartbreak and sadness.
1: Bullet Club <laughs> is evil.
0: I I just I, I felt like I lost a family
1: member, dude. But yeah, <laughs> I felt like I lost a family member. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. Can we talk about literally anything the else? The Anaconda Vice, though, still a cool finishing move.
0: Yeah, Anaconda I, I, Vice I, I, is cool. I, I like that still. This was a good match. I liked it. It was a good match. Yeah, Crowd wasn't super into it at the beginning. I think they might have been just really anxious to get to Rock Cena and didn't care as much about this, but this is a good match. And they do manage to get the fans pretty much into it. So, you know, solid all around. Moving on, we go... To uh one one little thing here that probably would get forgotten. They uh introduced the F-15 pilots who flew over the stadium, do the, the traditional flyover over the stadium. And uh I noticed that one of them was named Shrek Olson. So shout out to Shrek Olson. Spelled exactly like uh Shrek the movie. So <laughs> I am going to be doing more research on this uh, Shrek Olsen, and I will uh, let you know if I find any results on if his literal actual legal name is Shrek.
1: Shrek. Maybe he'll get a run in the Fed. I hope.
0: Um, so we have uh, Brodus Clay comes out, the Funkasaurus, with his Funkadactyls, Naomi and Cameron. They're dancing, which was uh, Brodus Clay's gimmick. He danced. I wonder if
2: either of those uh, Funkodactyls will will make anything of themselves as a wrestler.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that neither of them will ever just get over as a wrestler, and then everyone will forget that her first break was one of Brodus Clay's backup dancers. Brodus Clay,
1: who is now, I think, signed to Fox and is doing commercials for them.
0: Yeah, Brodus Clay ended up becoming a Fox News guy, and I think he got... Fired for uh, sexually harassing a co-worker. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. All so, right, then. Yeah. So, Brodus Clay, of course, he got the old Ernest the Cat Miller theme song from WCW, Somebody Call My Mama. So he calls his mama. His mama's here. Here comes Mama Clay. It's an old lady dancing with a huge fake ass. And then all of a sudden, like, 60 other old women with huge fake asses all come out and they all dance. And this was just something that probably Vince McMahon thought was really fun.
2: This was terrible. I was disturbed the entire time. I hated Brutus Clay when he was around. Didn't enjoy this whatsoever. They kept calling them the Bridge Club. Like, come on. I mean, do
1: better. This was on WrestleMania. This describing right it, it was fun. Event. Describing it is funnier than actually watching it. Watching it is painful and oh no just skipped skip
0: it's on the the wrestlemania bingo card like we got a ron simmons damn the first half of the show we had just a ridiculous segment with a bunch of people dancing that got ticked off and we're gonna get terrible terrible musical performances by people that we don't care about coming up right here uh Actually,
1: right now would probably be a good point to say this before we get into the once-in-a-lifetime event. And I have to say, this is just peak WrestleMania. Just the things that are bad about it is that it just feels like it's a combination of they're trying to have these storylines that make sense and that are good, and then you get these good wrestling matches. But they also do a lot of Commercialism things during these pay per views in order to, like, you know, get more eyes on them. Like, you saw it earlier with the uh, Deadliest Catch guy. Um, This Brotus Clay is obviously for, like, trying to catch the internet because you're trying to break the internet and get yourself trending. Mm -hmm. Um, You see the music performances as well kind of lend into that. And if I'm being completely honest, I enjoyed this year's Two Night uh, WrestleMania that didn't feature any of that and was just wrestling matches with no crowd more than I enjoyed as a whole WrestleMania 28 in terms of how it was presented. I enough. know. I mean, that's a very hot take,
0: but sure. Um, but it's, it kind of goes back to like Vince McMahon's conception of what he wanted WrestleMania to be. I feel like Vince McMahon is a wrestling promoter that's always been sort of ashamed to be a wrestling promoter. He wants to be a celebrity tastemaker kind of. So whenever he always tries to get famous people to come in and be at WrestleMania. And that's how you end up with stuff like, uh, like Pete Rose being there. And then you have like Liberace and all these guys. And like these people showing up at WrestleMania and it getting replayed forever. And every time that there's somebody even moderately famous there, they get shown and, Oh my God, this person's here. Like a rod was there and they show a rod. And he's only there because at the time he was dating Tori Wilson, who was a former WWE wrestler. But like, oh, my God, A-Rod's here. Um, They show Andy Garcia in the crowd, who is an actor that, I mean, you might remember him from The Godfather 3, but nobody really cares about who Andy Garcia is. But, you know, they have to make a big deal about Andy Garcia's here. The stars are out. That's just the way he presents Wrestlemania And it's just the way that he's always wanted to see Wrestlemania being He wants it to be not just a big wrestling show It has to be a huge celebrity spectacle
1: Yeah But personally for me that's kind of like What the drawback is to WWE Or at least Wrestlemania Is that it's not just the wrestling It's also all the He's trying to make it like a red carpet event It's not just about You're diminishing the wrestlers By saying that it only matters if you have celebrities and you can point to the last eight years and say that, look, they don't have the top of the card guys don't draw like they did in the tw- uh, mid 2000s, in the 90s. And I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that you're not kind of the main reason why you go to WrestleMania is to see these guys perform. He's trying to present WrestleMania as Oh, this event, this giant event, you get celebrities, there are celebrities there. Was there some wrestling? Sure, there's some wrestling. Oh, but there's live music by Flo Rida. There's live music by MGK. Oh, there's everything here. We got everything here. And you just, if you focus on the wrestlers and sell them as the main event, a lot of those pure hearted wrestling fans that we see on AEW, that we see at even New Japan events, they're going to still come, they're going to come back because they're, you're treating the wrestling seriously and not as like a side, so, side show circus. And and I mean, I need I need you to go tell it to Vince, and I want you to let me know what he says. He's gonna kill me and say you're fired. That's yeah, the way.
0: It's the way Vince has booked WWE for a long time. The brand of WWE is always more important than the actual guys, and mm-hmm. that's sort of why nobody has really gotten over since John Cena. Mm-hmm. And that's the way mm-hmm. it is. Speaking of John Cena, it's him and The Rock in the main events once-in-a-lifetime match and because it is a huge match between two of the biggest stars wwe has ever had they need a suitably grandiose entrance so we get diddy come out the man who killed tupac shakur he comes out to intro machine gun kelly and machine gun kelly who was a guy who was famous in 2012 and i Jake, you would know more than me. Does he, like, still make music? Who? He still a MGK? Guy, MGK? Yeah, he actually – this
2: is just my personal feeling. His music now is better than it used to be because he's just kind of more artistic with his music now. Like, he he was trying to make it there for a while as, like, this hardcore rapper a la, like, Eminem and guys like that. But, like, it was not – it was not working. Say- now, now he does more, like – rock based music which I think is
0: more his style.
1: I will say his diss track on Eminem was actually pretty good it's too bad that Eminem actually murdered him in the next diss track
0: (laughs) I do remember that I do uh, remember that being a whole thing I do remember the whole MGK Eminem showdown and as a guy who has always thought that Eminem is trash I was just like kill each other go for it (laughs) (laughs) let's
1: make it a death match
0: Yes, let's do, a, let's do a light tube exploding ring deathmatch.
2: Joey Janela.
0: So MGK comes out and he plays a song. And uh, he ends up cutting a promo about both he, Machine Gun Kelly, and John Cena are the ultimate underdogs. And then the trumpets hit and John Cena comes out He gets a huge pop. It's John Cena at WrestleMania. It's Big Match John. Ja. He's made for the moment. And then we get Flowrider comes out. He is going to do the big entrance for the rock Miami native. He does that one song that he did that was big in 2012. I don't remember what it's called, but you heard it a million times.
2: It's called Invincible. And I actually have a correction to make because on the last episode, I said that I hated the MGK song that they used. I actually was hating on Flowrider's song Good Feeling. And I actually don't mind the song Invincible by MGK. So, Machine Gun Kelly, I would like to apologize to you. Flo Rida, good feeling sucks.
0: Yeah. So he does his song, um, and he's going crazy. He's a big guy. He's all jacked. He, like I said, he looks like he can mix it up in the ring. And then The Rock comes out. The Miami Hurricanes' favorite son, The Rock, in his first big match in like a decade and the crowd goes insane for the rock there is nothing like i said this our first half of the wrestlemania 28 show there is nothing like a huge stadium wrestlemania where you have a billion people there all going crazy and when the rock comes out they lose it and it's it's not just that it's the rock it's the rock in miami it's his hometown it's his first match Big match in, again, almost a decade. And it's The Rock and Cena. It is a match that we never thought we would see at the time, right? I mean, we thought that The Rock was never going to wrestle again. He comes back and has this huge match. It's awesome. It just feels big, and it feels like just the kind of match that epitomizes WrestleMania the event. We get the huge rocky Chance, the let's go cena cena sucks Chance. they do the big face off in the middle of the ring they do the the rock hogan thing where they like stare each other down and they look off into the crowd and the crowd's going crazy it's just awesome you get goosebumps watching it and i mean the crowd's going crazy They people have air horns and stuff it just feels like you're about to watch a huge event You can see how excited everybody is when the bell rings, including Cena. He's, like, jumping around. You don't usually see Cena that excited for a match. They lock up. They do the test of strength. Cena throws Rock into the corner. They lock up again, and Rock throws Cena away. And this is a slow-paced match. Rock's first match in years, he kind of gases out midway through. It sort of has to be a slow-paced match, but because these two guys are so over and the crowd is so into this match that they don't really need to do a whole lot. Early on in this match, they do a bunch of kind of basic moves, like Rock does like a couple arm drags, and the crowd goes crazy for Rock doing an arm drag. They go crazy for the Rock putting him in a side headlock. It's just the classic, the wrestler is getting as much as they can by doing as little as possible and relying on their charisma to get them through it. And that's kind of what this match is. Um, Cena throws Rock into the barricade, and he takes over, hits a belly-to-belly suplex. He puts him in a bear hug at one point. Again, really slow, but the crowd does not care. Hmm. Rock hits the spine buster. He teases the people's elbow, but Cena comes back. He hits the five-knuckle shuffle. Cena hits an attitude adjustment. You get a two count. From here, you get a bunch of big kickouts crowd went crazy by the way when he hit this attitude adjustment rock comes back and hits a rock bottom two count cena hits a big side slam on the rock a kick out cena hits this gigantic guillotine leg drop off the top rope which legitimately concerned me that he was actually going to kill the rock with it. <laughs> two count rock comes back hits a spear he puts cena into the sharpshooter. cena barely gets to the ropes they go to the outside rock sends cena into the steps they come back into the ring. Cena does a cool sunset flip over the top rope directly into the STFU finisher uh, finishing submission. They do the classic spot they've been doing for a billion years where the rock looks like he goes out in the submission hold. And the referee is going to do the, the three, you know, the, the, the dropping the arm test to see if he's out. So he picks up the rock's arm once and drops it and it's limp. He does it again, too, and it's limp. And if he does it one more time, then the rock is out. And the match is over and he picks his arm up and he drops it. And the rock comes back alive and he fires back up and hits a huge Samoan drop. And the crowd is going crazy for rock. Cena teases him with the uh, attitude adjustment. The rock gets out, shoots him off the ropes, hits the spine buster, hits the people's elbow to count huge chance for both the rock and cena cena does a cross body or or the rock hits a big cross body off the top rope cena rolls through hoists him up onto his shoulders hits the aa a kick out like a great kick out like 2.8 kick out from the (laughs) The rock cena gets up and says "Ah, screw it to hell with you guys i'm gonna disrespect the rock I'm going to hit the people's elbow. He takes his uh, his armband off, throws it into the crowd. He's about to hit the people's elbow. And then The Rock springs up out of nowhere, hits The Rock bottom. One, two, three. And in the once-in-a-lifetime match, The Rock pins John Cena to win it. 30 minutes and 33 seconds. And you know when The Rock won.
1: The crowd lost it. <laughs> now... I did just get done a rant about how they present WrestleMania. This match itself was billed and booked, even though the intro uh, video was a uh, very cliched. I thought it was booked ex- exemplary. I can't speak right now because of how amazed I am by this match. Uh, because you're right, David, there isn't a lot of pace to it. It's very slow. There's not a lot of huge spots in the f- early on. But the way they're telling the story with both these guys, with The Rock looking to reclaim his former glory, Cena showing that he's still on top and he's the guy at the top of the card, and they play their roles perfectly. The way Cena causes that split in the crowd and the way he plays off that split really sets him apart from, I think, a lot of other wrestlers. Because at either moment, he could be kind of like a heel where he's leaning into the crowd's disdain. I thought here he did that really well. He was more tactical. It was a slower-paced Cena. He's stalking The Rock a little bit more. It's a lot of similar things that you see in a Randy Orton match in terms of just how he paces with his opponent. Uh, and he played off the crowd's love for The Rock in order to play the heel in this match. And I thought he did a great job with that. Uh, bald and goateed Rock not the greatest <laughs> look for me. I think that there are much better rock looks. I think him clean shaven's a lot better than bald with the goatee. But that's neither here nor there.
2: What's David's favorite rock? Because I think I know.
0: My favorite rock is uh, corporate world champion rock.
2: Oh, see, I thought you were gonna say sideburns rock.
0: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, well, sideburns rock is a very high power level. <laughs>
1: rock Hawaiian shirt <laughs> rock is uh, with the flowing hair is kind of I think my favorite. Like, like like Rocky My Via? Rock? No, 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 no. Like, uh, I'm thinking of the promo he's cutting with Mankind, uh, This Is Your Life. Oh, I don't think he had hair. Well, he didn't have hair
0: back then, did he? Thought he, did. I, don't think he did. I thought he did. I, I thought he got rid of the hair when he joined the Nation of Domination. He did.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever version did the uh, This Is My Life, that's my favorite rock.
0: Okay, fair enough,
1: fair enough. All right. Uh, Cena interrupting the people's elbow and just hearing how the crowd just kind of hates him for that. The pop you get on that first AA, though, just because it's The Rock's first match in a decade, and you're like, oh, the AA, this is the finisher, and then he kicks out. I think that's just, again, good storytelling. How they pace this match at the end with The Rock hitting Cena with all his good moves, Cena hitting The Rock with all his good moves. I'm a sucker for when Cena takes the crossbody, rolls through, picks him up, and does the AA. Gets me every time. Him doing that leg drop, David, you mentioned it earlier, how high he got and how far he went on that leg drop from the top rope. Just, you don't think of Cena as the super athlete, but he has some moments of just being insanely athletic in terms of, like, being a top rope guy. And then, obviously, John Cena doing the perfect, classic Mr. McMahon mocking the people's elbow and getting caught with a rock bottom. Just the story it told. I I was very satisfied watching the match. This
2: was one of the most atmospheric matches that we watched outside of Walter, Tyler, Bate. and even then, there are times. I'm 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 going to admit that I I listened to the Jim Cornette podcast one time, and this was a while ago, but he like decried the, like crowds that interact with the matches. He hated it. And so I've, I've started paying a lot more attention to like how I feel about them, but I've, I have yet to watch a match where the crowd being involved hasn't been awesome. And the crowd ate this up. You could like feel the electricity going through everybody as they watched it. Um, it made me think that Cena would have been a great heel who didn't know he was a heel. So Cena still comes out and does the stick and. He thinks everybody loves him, but in reality, like, everybody's booing him. He acts like everybody loves him. I think that would have been a great character for Cena, especially with how he, like, tried to imitate the Rock's people's elbow at the end. Would have been super cool, and they should have pulled— WWE should have pulled the trigger on
0: that, and they should have pulled the trigger on uh, Roman as a heel, too. Some of Cena's best work, in my opinion, has been when he is playing— because they're never going to let him be the overt heel, but when he's playing that subtle heel— in response to a guy who was super over as a babyface, I think particularly of One Night Stand 2006 against Rob Van Dam. Oh yeah, that's Absolutely. some of Cena's best work is in that role.
2: Absolutely, and and I think that I think that if they had le- leaned into that, it would have been a lot better. Um, also, why did they get assigned singers at the beginning of the match? It wasn't like Motorhead singing. Uh, what do they call Triple H's music? King of Kings. Yeah, it wasn't like them singing King of Kings for Triple H to the ring. They just
1: like sang a song, and they were like, "Here's the Rock." Also, did you <laughs> notice that for the Rock's entrance, that you don't hear? Uh, the Rock says, "Know your damn Roll? You you don't hear that. You don't hear that on his entrance here. Well, it's a BG baby.
0: They had a different uh. I guess, theme music for him than like
1: his prime era theme. I, music. Yeah, they they, they didn't,
2: didn't ever... have any, mu- and they didn't have any words in this sentence.
1: No, no. And I'd like to know your damn role park it's just like the rocks here. He's a badass. He doesn't care what you think. Shut up and listen to him. Yeah. The
2: rocks music is underrated in my opinion. No, it's good. Nobody yeah. ever talks about it, but it was really good for him.
0: Yeah. And it's perfect because he's like, he's a guy that had so many great catchphrases that they ended up making his
1: entrance theme out of his catchphrases. It was perfect for the Rock. Great. I wish I could have come up with Jabroni because that is just an absolutely fun word to say. Jabroni. But, yeah, Jake, you talk
0: about this being an atmospheric match, and for me, the the match I always think of in comparison to this match is the Rock-Hogan match at oh, WrestleMania 19. Oh, wow. 18. Yeah. And I think this is sort of a i mean i mean it's 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 like that, but a little bit different in the sense that I think the crowd is a little bit less hot for this match than they were for Rock Hogan, and that's understandable because it's literally the rock versus Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and the crowd is a little bit hotter, so they can get away with doing even less than they do in this match. There are more like big high spots in this match than there are in the entire Rock Hogan match. Oh yeah. And I think Rock Hogan even though they don't do that much is remembered it's definitely remembered more fondly and more often than this match is.
2: Yeah, but I, I th- it's still I great. It was, I think that was because of like the how they like switch their characters and stuff in that match.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the Rock, Hulk, or uh, Hulk, Hulk Hogan hulking up in that match when he comes out playing like cool NWO Hollywood Hogan, and then he goes back to Hulkamania Hogan in the middle yeah. of the match, and the crowd is just losing its mind. I want to get that next time we get the randomizer.
1: <laughs> I will say, uh, the Rock having not wrestled in a decade, you could tell that in this match, and that's probably the one thing dragging it down is that the Rock is very clearly not in in-ring shape. And I think it's a good thing they do run it back, because I do remember uh, when Brock wins the title at the Royal Rumble, he does look a lot better than he does here. uh, That they run it back at WrestleMania, was it? So this was 28 to 29. uh, Because then you get the real match proper, and I think that you can get a better match with the Rock and Cena than we get here.
2: Let Uh, me ask you something, Angelo. Um I want you to take your shirt off in front of a couple
1: million people. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, I'm not saying like, oh, the rock looks bad and like he's out of shape. (laughs) It's like, it's like you're wrestling and you're just like, you're not, yeah, you can do all the workouts outside of the uh, wrestling practice. But then once you get into the match with somebody, six minutes feels like an hour.
2: You're out of breath after we're done the podcast.
1: Hey, that's a lie, and you know it. I am, out of, <laughs> I am out of breath just doing lifting weights, which is something I've been trying to do and get into better shape, because I know I am a fat tub of lard occasionally. How, but again, I just think that you get these old guys in the ring, if they're not in-ring ready or in-ring shape, the match kind of suffers. Luckily for this one, with how atmospheric it was, crowd didn't matter and they played it perfectly they played it as a slower match which is good the problem is when you get goldberg matches come out with the undertaker both guys aren't in in-ring shape and then you get these horrible moments of i can't believe they just tried that out there on the wwe network
0: yeah it's a great job by cena from keeping this match from falling apart when the rock gases out like halfway through a half hour long match i mean and yeah, it's, it's definitely not that The Rock physically looks bad. He looks incredible shape because oh, yeah. he is in incredible shape. He's The Rock. I mean, he gets he, – he looks, I mean, way more jacked than he did at the end of his original WWF run. But yeah, it's one thing to be in incredible cosmetic shape and it's another thing to be able to do a half-hour wrestling match. I mean, there's – that's just a completely different beast and it makes sense that he would gas out. Like if he didn't gas out – It would be one of the most amazing things you've ever seen in your entire life. But I think Cena does a great job to keep this match going. And for what it's worth, The Rock, for a guy who hasn't wrestled much, I think he had had one or two matches maybe, but wasn't asked to do a whole lot. It's his first big match in like nine years, ten years, and it's a half-hour long WrestleMania main event. I think he does as good as you can really ask for, and all the moves that he did looked good. Mm-hmm. He executed everything he needed no, to execute. No, I would
1: <laughs> I would agree with that. It's just I you can tell, but you don't care. And I think that they do. He does do a good job of like powering through. But you can, there are things you know, and then there are things you don't know. This is one of the things you know.
0: Yeah, I want I want to kind of take the temperature on what do we feel about this rock run in general because obviously we co he he, he stays in for a while he keeps appearing throughout the rest of the year winds up beating punk for the title at the royal rumble then we get the rock cena rematch at the next wrestlemania a period that did a lot of really big business for wwe and everyone was really psyched to have rock back and it was all in all pretty cool but I don't know, at least for me, it always felt like this rock run was kind of missing something a little bit.
2: The only problems that I had with it were not related to rock. They were related to how WWE handled it. If you don't why do you bill this as once in a lifetime? Even if you don't know that you're gonna run it back, even if you have no idea why don't you cross your fingers and be like, man, I hope rock shows up again for like a year long run with us or something. And then he takes the title off of punk. I, I thought that was super misguided. I didn't like that at all. Um, I don't like when part-timers come like, like that Goldberg Lesnar match from a couple years ago. It's so cool. Need the belt. It, but it didn't need the belt. I didn't think so. At least why are we giving ch- championship opportunities to guys who are never there? Really? I mean, I okay. guess it's because they're The Rock and Goldberg, but I don't know. That was my, those are my big problems. I also, well, this has been a complaint for a long time.
1: Yeah. I also think, like, with The Rock here, I think that's a good use of a part-timer. Yeah, you could say that giving him the championship opportunity against Punk is maybe ill-sighted, but at least he's been around for the past nine months. It's not like he's just dropped off the face of the earth <laughs> like Goldberg, comes back, suddenly and says, I demand a title match. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, and I think just having The Rock be... A guy so clearly, obviously, someone you're saving for those pay-per-views, you, he'll get some time on TV, but it's not a guy you're going to focus on TV a lot because most of the time the story is not... The Rock doesn't need to be there to tell a story. The Rock is the, telling the story will tell itself. Uh, but then you get the moments of, like, with Brock Lesnar, who's a part-timer because, quote, it's in his contract and how many times he performs. I feel like that's just lazy storytelling, even if it is true with Brock. Because Brock is a great performer when he gets time to work a match. Like, you guys keep quoting that Daniel Bryan-Brock Lesnar match from Survivor Series about two years ago. And I know that Lesnar can do a lot of good work. But recently, most of his matches are just finisher spam from start to finish. Which leaves Lesnar the wrestler looking poor off. Because you're kind of detracting what he can do. You're cheating Lesnar out of a full match which he's capable of putting on and making it look absolutely great. And uh, I don't know. I would rather have a part-timer come back at like the rock. And the reason why he's back in part-time is because he is a legend. He doesn't need to, you know, satiate himself in front of the f- crowd again, save that time for other performers versus Lesnar, who is a guy still pretty much in the prime of his career, not showing up for weeks on end, just showing up for the big pay-per-views and, and, you know, winning the title almost immediately.
0: I don't know. It just, it it felt to me like there was always something. Yeah. And Jake, you kind of said like your issues with it didn't have to do with the rock in general. And my, I mean, I just, for me, it felt like there was something a little bit missing with him when you would, we'd see him in the ring and on the mic. It sort of felt like when he was in that original WWF run, he was the rock. Then he goes to Hollywood, and he's Dwayne Johnson for so long, and he comes back to WWE, and it sort of felt like he was still, he wasn't The Rock, he was famous Hollywood actor Dwayne Johnson (laughs) playing The Rock.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: It just felt a little bit off. And I I just kind of wish that if you're going to bring The Rock back, who is one of the biggest stars, top three biggest stars in the history of American professional wrestling. You want to use him in a way to put somebody over that could use it. And the only person that he put over was John Cena. Yeah. And that was the last person who really needed it.
1: Man, imagine if we got a rock Zack Ryder match. Uh, I don't think that was ever going to happen in any conceivable <laughs> reality or timeline, Angelo.
2: But Back Ryder goes over.
0: Just, I mean, you know, I, I wish they could have used it to put over Punk. Absolutely. But they didn't.
2: Could you Punk. imagine a John Cena, CM Punk main event at Mania? They could have made happen.
0: Punk. They could have made Punk with that.
2: Or Rock but, CM Punk at Mania. That would have been
0: really good. Yeah. Have Punk go, I mean, you know, I just if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna do something like that, and have a star like that come back and have one of these types of runs where they wrestle every three months, but every three months they're in the main event or they're fighting for the title, you want ideally to use them to put somebody over that could use it to build a star. With, with- Cena or with, with Rock, they only the only guy who got over who got put over by him was Cena, and with really the Goldberg run that we mentioned a little bit earlier, he ended up putting over Brock at the end who didn't really need it. Yeah. And then he winds up putting over Braun Strowman at this last WrestleMania, which is more the lines of what I'm thinking, but it happened. That was not the plan. It was, you know, COVID happened. And then this sort of ended up being what happens. It was not their plan to put over Braun. It was
1: initially supposed to be Roman, who is probably another guy that really doesn't need to be put over. Yeah. And, like, they could have, even though Bray Wyatt's been a great performer, it was initially going to be The Fiend even, like, two months before they started doing that, and then they tore up WrestleMania. So then you got Fiend, John Cena, which, thank you, John, for putting him over. And then you had Lesnar, Braun Strowman, which they were like, yeah, we could get Braun over this way, and, you know... It didn't feel right, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is
0: how WWE has used their part-timers for at least the last decade. And same. sooner or later, they're going to run out of these guys. You can't bring back The Rock. How many times? You know, you can't keep bringing back Stone Cold. There's a lot of diminishing returns on this, but kind of getting off on a, on a, a more downcast <laughs> track with this. I think we all agree that Rock Cena, just the atmosphere, the story they tell. It is a great match. It is a lot of fun to watch. And it is, it's is—it's always cool to see this kind of... I, like I, I feel like this match really just kind of epitomizes what WrestleMania is about. And I think it's really cool. I think, I think it's a good match and it's really fun to watch. So, we move on from the once-in-a-lifetime match that was actually twice-in-a-lifetime to... R two and a half marks. Let's start Uh, with we've been starting with Jake. What were we going to say, Jake?
2: Well, we you've said Angelo, you should go first for like four weeks in a row. So
1: have I? I was yeah. I I think we started
0: with you the last
1: few times. You did because you changed it up on me uh, after Jake said something. So David, why don't you lead us off this time? I need to like write down
0: (laughs) and keep an order who goes first because now i just look like an idiot (laughs) but i will go for our idiot my half mark goes to dennis erickson former coach of the miami hurricanes for recruiting a young defensive lineman named (laughs) play for the u and really jump-started his career who knows where where young rocky is if he doesn't get that chance playing for the u winning a natty god bless and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the half mark. So I guess a quarter mark goes to Dennis Erickson. Another quarter mark goes to the Cobra. Always love the Cobra. It is my favorite finisher of this time period. And Again, we already talked about it, Santino Morella. I always just love the fact that it is the dumbest move in history, but every single wrestler sells it like they got shot with a double-barreled shotgun and they die. It is... It it, it makes the whole thing. My one mark goes to the late, great Howard Finkel. Think when he comes out and intros the hall of famers, it's just great to hear his voice. He's a legend, the greatest ring announcer to ever do it. And the biggest mistake WWE ever made was pushing him out when they didn't need to, because they wanted to go younger or whatever. I guess there is, Still, even in 2012, he still sounds great, and there's just something iconic about that voice. And my full two marks goes to just the WrestleMania moment. David, that is mine. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't let me go first, bro. This is on you. My full two marks goes to the WrestleMania moment. So much of WWE's booking nowadays is trying to manufacture big moments. A lot of times at the expense of actually getting people over and actually telling good stories. But in an event like this, WrestleMania in a huge NFL stadium with 80,000 screaming fans listed, 78,000, you know, they always kayfabe the numbers a little bit, so probably less than that. But still, it's a full NFL stadium. You can have moments that, like, like, like Cena Rock, when they make their entrance and they stare each other down. And for once, the announcers actually just shut up and let it breathe. When you have two legends of that caliber, two superstars of that caliber, that is a timeless WrestleMania moment. And it's the kind of thing that in pro wrestling, it can only happen at WrestleMania. And really great moments like that can be few and far between, but when they happen, you never forget them. And I feel like getting Cena-Rock a match that we never thought was ever possible until it happened, and actually seeing those two in the ring in front of a full stadium that is going crazy, that is one of the quintessential WrestleMania moments. And it's just,
1: it's awesome. Let's go with uh, Ange. Sure. Uh, The half mark will be going to Booker T for selling like hell in that 12-man tag match. That match featured a lot more of a guy that was already a Hall of Famer and announcer at that point than I ever expected it would be. But you know what? He looks good in there. His offense looks better. His selling looks better uh, than it did in SummerSlam 06. I don't know whether that's from the fact he's got better chemistry in the ring at that point. Versus uh, a Batista who was returning from injury. But I thought Poker T looked really good in that match. And I'm going to give him that half mark. Uh, the one mark I'm going to give to Chris Jericho. Just the way he sells being a conniving heel. Uh, inciting Punk. Making Punk rage. And then delivering an absolute classic in the last half of that match. With just counter after counter after counter. And throwing out unique moves here and there. And including that uh, awesome second rope. Walls of Jericho counter is just, you got to recognize Jericho there. And then finally, two marks four one John Cena. Uh, again, Rock is not in great in ring shape here, but Cena gets the most out of him here. He sells great. He puts his offense in. And he tells a great story of a guy who who knows that he's loved and knows that he sells T shirts, but hears the crowd and how hot they are for Rock and leans into that heel a little bit, uh, being more methodical, uh taking a few pages out of Orin's book, stalking down uh the rock, like staring at him, picking his spots a little bit more, and I think Cena doing a great does a great job at like feeding off the crowd and what they want from him in a given match. So two marks to John Cena. Alright. So that will wrap up our coverage. Wait, 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 wait. What?
0: You really forget? Oh, <laughs> there's a third guy on this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: There's Jake. Hey, Jake. So I was gonna give my two marks to David Statman, but guess who's not getting my marks now? Oh. <laughs> so um my half mark is gonna go to Vince's Hall of Fame selection rationale because it it just it doesn't make sense all the time, and it just it doesn't make sense to me that there's the only Hall of Fame recognition that you get is you get a bio on the WWE website that I don't think anybody uses unless you're going to the network. Um, it's just I, I've never really understood it. Like, there's no you know like with the NBA, the the NFL, MLB, you have certain guidelines. You have to be out of the business or out of the game for so long. There has to be like clear, you know, uh statistics or something like that to be able to get in. But in WWE, like you can just kind of get in with whatever. And I, I think it's kind of weird to put somebody like Yokozuna in posthumously at the same time as like Edge, but like you're definitely treating Edge with way more respect than you are Yokozuna. And you know, in an NFL or, or a sporting event, situation it makes sense that way because that's how it works but it seems like vince just kind of like oh yeah that guy had a title once and he, and he just died so i'm gonna put him in and it just seems seems very i don't know in poor taste but you can say that about a lot of things uh my one mark is also going to go to a finishing move but it's going to the people's elbow because that move should have never finished a match ever <laughs> a ton of them, okay explain to me the power level difference between that and the five knuckle shuffle, which also never finished, which never finished a match. Why is that the difference between the, it, it's either the knuckles or the elbow.
1: It's like I the mean, spirit it, bomb. You're giving it, The crowd gives the rock his energy and yeah. it's going into the elbow.
2: So that, I guess that's why I like, like a 12, six elbows are illegal in UFC. Cause I mean, the rocks just throwing you one from six feet up. But um, so since David took my two marks, My original two marks were going to be WrestleMania because you get Rock Cena. It's just great. I'm actually going to change it to long-term storytelling because I think this is the last great instance of main event long-term storytelling. Because if you remember, Rock was actually the host of WrestleMania 27 and one of the biggest pops ever when Rock was announced as the host of that. So go back and watch that and and you'll you'll see a great pop. Um, But he was the host there. He actually cost Cena the match against Miz. The Miz won a, res- a WrestleMania main event. That's the thing that happened. Um, and They told this whole story of the, of the following year where like Rock and Cena would call each other out. They have the great match. And I just so wish that they hadn't built it as once in a lifetime, that they had just built it as a big time match. And then you get like the, the I don't want to say the surprise of it the next year, because once, uh once, Actually, this is a weird question, but can you remember if the Rumble match or if CM Punk Rock was on first? Because one of them happened and then everybody knew what was happening in the second one.
1: I, I want, am looking it up right now. I think now. the rock punk came on second.
2: Yeah, I think Cena won the rumble. Yeah. Yeah. And then like once Cena won the rumble, everybody was like, Oh okay, Rock's gonna win. Um but I, I wish that they that they had told that story a little better. But a two-year story between two guys, that's pretty impressive. So, and I like it. So two marks of long-term storytelling, one to the people's elbow, and a half to Vince's Hall of Fame selection rationale.
0: All right. So that will wrap up our coverage of WrestleMania 28, a special two-part episode. And normally, this is the part where we hit the randomizer. But we're going to do something a little bit different next week. I think the, 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 the group of us came together and decided – Every now and then, we're going to mix things up once we hit, like, round numbers or kind of milestone numbers. Instead of doing a randomizer, we're going to pick something else and and do something a little bit different. And so, next week, we're very excited about this one. It's going to be another two-part episode. But we are going to uh, review the New Japan Ring of Honor G1 Supercard from Madison Square Garden last year because the entire show is up on YouTube. And this is going to be a special thing because this is going to be the first time, and probably the only time for the foreseeable future that we will be reviewing a show that Jake and I actually attended. We were there, which is going to be awesome. I am so
2: excited. There, I, I remember sitting, sitting there in this watching the the what they call it the honor rumble, honor rumble. Yeah, watching the honor rumble. And number 30 hits and, like, this weird music plays that you can tell is meant to be one of the New Japan guys. And everybody's just like, who is – Oh, my
0: God! And it was the Great Muda walking to the ring. Yeah. (laughs) Remember when we saw the Great Muda (laughs) (laughs) at Madison Square Garden? Uh, We're going to have a lot to talk about. I mean, you you know, uh, Naito Bushi match. You have Bully Ray nearly killing somebody. You have the uh, the Enzo in cast angle that everyone... Not everybody just, knew about Everybody, not everybody knew about it and everyone kind of agreed to never speak of it again. <laughs> after and all this, a really just genuinely historic wrestling event. The first time I believe anyone other than WWE had sold out Madison Square Garden in the history of professional wrestling.
2: Hey, um, I, I so I know there was a I remember a Dalton Castle Ruse match
0: on the card. Do you think Dalton Castle would ever turn on the boys? Dude, are you kidding me? Dalton Castle would never turn on the boys <laughs> ever. I mean, what would Dalton Castle be without the boys? He's just know. a dude in a row. Ridiculous question. It'd be so stupid. God, that'd be the worst thing they could ever do. And I will say, even... I have, I have always said that I believe. 100% in Ring of Honor's booking In the soundness And just the long term strategy of it And I don't think they would ever do something like that
1: And I will say even though that my Experience or my knowledge of New Japan Or Ring of Honor is not as Extensive as either of yours uh, The G, uh, the uh, New Japan Cup Has me really excited for New Japan matches So getting to watch more and having an excuse To watch more makes me very excited You've been watching it a little bit. I mean, you watched the G one last year, right? I did watch the G one last year, but again, I don't have like I don't have the names off the top of my head. I'm starting to learn a little bit more of them, uh, but man, just like that that evil turn, man. That's just it's got a, it hooked. It hooked me. They got a hook in me. Yeah, man. So yeah, at least you're gonna
0: kind of know who I'll know. most of these. Yeah. Guys are. at least you're gonna have a somewhat of a baseline knowledge of. It. But yeah, we're gonna be able to. Jake and I were going to be able to relive a show that we went to. Looking forward to it a lot. And we're going to do these. I mean, predominantly the show is going to be, hey, we hit the randomizer and we review something random on the WWE Network. But I think every now and then we decided we're going to do, we're going to switch it up every now and then. So, really looking forward to that next week. It'll be part one of the G1 Supercard because this is, this show was really long. So this is going to be another one we're going to have to split up and we'll figure out exactly where we split it up. But until next time g1 supercard next week and for angelo and glisa and jake long i'm david statman as always thanks for listening